And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Episode 136 of The Drop Set. It is Monday morning, August 19th, 7.17 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The phones are waiting for you to call. I say that as though there are a bank of phones here waiting. Okay, full disclosure, my Google voicemail box is waiting for you to call 865-518-2974. Anything on your mind? call in, leave a message. Uh, if I like it, I'll play it on here. I have a collection of messages that I've received over the past couple weeks here. Um, well, I'm not holding the messages in my hands. I am holding sticky notes of people's names that have called in, and I will be drawing one of these later, uh, and the winner will get some free swag from the Five Star Physique store online. How cool is that? I don't know, moderately cool, maybe, at best. But um, yeah, I got names here, um, and so we'll do that drawing today. Um, so that'll be coming a little bit later. First of all, um, clickbait time. I need to send you all to the website for there is a new poll. Uh, I finally put up a new poll to take you back a ways. Uh, the last time I had a poll, um, it's been sitting up there for a while, it was asking about waist trainers. Um, and the question was, what most accurately sums up your thought on waist trainers? So after a while to collect a good number of votes, 55% um, of respondents said, hell no, WTF. 19% um, says, haven't used one, but I'm interested. 14% say, I use or have used one and I dig it. And 12% actually said, I've used one, but didn't feel it was effective or didn't like it. So an interesting mix there. Kind of cool. Um, the poll now that is up currently says, oh shoot, there we go. Hold on. I can just refresh that page now, right? I totally can. Yes. Um, the question says, uh, is the upcoming wellness division, which will be making its appearance in uh, NPC and IFBB ranks in 2020, an overall positive or negative thing for bodybuilding? Initially, I had that question worded asking if it was an overall positive or negative thing for the NPC and the IFBB, and then I realized that was a stupid question because they're going to make money off of it. Of course, it's going to be a good thing for them. But the question, and this is more fundamental, is, is it a good thing for bodybuilding? And so uh, a couple of things to uh, sway you a little bit, you know, some, some pros and cons. Pros would be, well, it's another avenue for people to compete. It's another series of judging standards. So now women who are competing can really fine tune like what they want their physique to look like. And then they have a better chance now of finding a category that um, suits that. Um, I, I think... It, it that it's a chicken and the egg argument though. I think most often it works the other way around. Like, oh, that's a division that I like. Now I've got something to work towards, rather than well, this is what I. I, mean, I think I just said the same thing twice actually. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's uh, that that's one possible thing to take from it as a positive. It's like okay, well, it's a, it's another avenue. Whereas you know the, the standards in here are definitely a little bit more bottom heavy, and where that may have counted against you in some other divisions. Now you have a place where no, that's actually a, a, that's an asset. It's a strength. That's uh, exactly what they're looking for. So that could be a positive thing. Um, for me, the downside is uh, uh, there are a few. First of all, is there, there's yet now another. Uh, collection of judging standards when they have proven that they have not been able to consistently apply the existing ones. So why are we creating more still? 
It's like, you know, continuing to add uh, additions onto your house when you've got foundational problems over the main part of it. It's like, what are you doing? Fix that first. Come on. Walk before you can run. Uh, other arguments against. Uh, it makes the shows longer. You know, not what we need at this stage. Um, it, uh, it also is going to further dilute existing categories. So it, it's really, you know, you listen to a guy like me and, you know, th- this... I've said before, this podcast could easily be just be renamed The Bodybuilding Pessimist with Darren Starr. That's it's fair. That's fair criticism. Um, so uh, I had, and I'll talk about this more in a moment here, um, a client competing this weekend, and she did figure in a show in El Paso. And in the open class, there were three people. In the novice class, there were two. So it's not a big show. So what the wellness division will do would be to further dilute that. I don't think anybody is, uh, well, not anybody. Clearly, some people will. But I don't think there's going to be a huge influx of people into the sport of bodybuilding because of the addition of the wellness division. So what that means is that the existing pool of bodybuilders and women doing competition specifically is now going to be further split up into additional categories, meaning the level of competition for the categories that were before, whether it was figure, physique, I imagine those will be the ones that get a lot of bleed over from this. Well, bikini too, actually. They're all going to be diluted a little bit. I think bikini could stand to be diluted, but figure, you know, like this show, and it's very common, um, it's, it's kind of the in-between category, and uh, there's there's a lot of shows that have a very weak showing in figure and in physique as well. So um, I don't think more categories is necessarily the answer in, in that case. Uh, and then also uh, another thing is now there are, there's more crossover potential, which just creates more blurring of the lines. And that is less a, fun, a, a problem about this division and more of a fundamental problem with how um how the npc uh conducts their shows so, i mean crossovers are a big money maker but they also really 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 make things difficult for judges and uh help blur the lines between divisions as well i mean i've, I've seen it happen before where <laughs> there's there's a woman in a show that i went to in oregon i remember she won the overall for bikini and figure in the same show that should never happen. It should not be possible. But it, it not only was possible, it did happen. So uh, the question then, thedropset.com, go and vote. It's up at the top of the page. Is the upcoming wellness division an overall positive or negative thing for bodybuilding? And if you have additional thoughts that you want to throw on, you want to argue with me a little bit, I'll take it. Bring it on. Um, 865-518-2974 is the number where you can find me. Well, not me specifically. That's not my cell number, but you know, you know, you know the drill at this point. You call in, you leave a message. I'll play it here totally. Um, so we have a, a few questions here this week. Um, I got some email feedback. I wanted to jump in first of all on a quick little recap from the weekend that was for me. So uh, it was kind of uh, a little mundane, but almost not at the same time. If that makes any sense. So. Uh, first of all, I'm watching my sprinklers going out back right now. So I've got this, you know, here's your little lawn update here, <laughs> the, the, the yard report. Um, the way that I have it set up, I have spent way too much money this last summer on hoses and sprinklers. So I've got these like uh, flexible, expandable 100-foot hoses because we don't have – we've got – two outdoor water spigots. And so we've got one out by the garage and then one on the back side of the house, which never gets used for anything. It's actually out on the side by the AC unit. It's a terrible spot to be used by much anything. So, um, so I, I've set up this, this brass junction by the one out by the garage. So there's a hose that then runs to the front yard and then one that runs to the back. So 
uh, I have sprinklers permanently set up. They're just those waterfall-style sprinklers. So there's one in the front that is set on a pretty confined movement path to, to hit the flower bed up there. because And that, that's less about the grass and more about the flowers just because they're in full sun um, and the flowers there like it. But still, it's so dry and so hot out here. If they don't get watered on a regular basis, they're going to be hating life. And then I've got one in the backyard, and I move that between two positions. So, because the backyard's big enough, a uh, sprinkler in one spot can't get the whole thing. So, and it also, it waters the flowers that are out there too. So it's just a nice way to kind of, you know, turn it on, let it run for a little while, forget it. Um, man, we were, when we were shopping for houses two years ago, <clears throat> I wish I would have taken into account and valued a little bit more, uh, an irrigation system. Oh my God, I would kill for an irrigation system at this point. But the problem is in order to put in an area, there's a lot of ditch digging, et cetera. And so you've got to undo all the stuff that you've been slaving over. I'm like, nobody's going to be digging ditches in this backyard. Shut up, fool. No, it's not going to happen. So at some point I'll get sick enough of watering it and I might go ahead and put one in. I don't know. But, uh, (laughs) anyway, so I've got, I've got three, um, watering things in the morning. That's the best time to do it. It's a three phase process for me. You turn on the sprinkler out front, Water pressure isn't uh, great enough to allow me to run both the sprinklers at the same time. So I turn on the one out front, let it run for a little while. That's usually when I'm walking Taz in the morning. I'll turn it on when I take him out, turn it off when I come back. And then I turn on one in the backyard, and then after about 20 minutes, I move it to the other position. So all that to say, I'm, I'm watching it go right now. It's it's the third phase of my three phases, and I'll be taking a pause here um, after my next break on this podcast to go and move it. I know everybody is riveted by this right now. They're like, oh, my God, Darren, please Tell us more about your sprinkler configuration for the yard because I woke up on Monday morning hoping there would be a podcast specifically talking about this. And yes, my prayers have been answered. First of all, you can take that sarcasm and shove it. I don't need it. But nonetheless, I, I know it's it's a very popular topic. So um, anyway, I can't wait for it to start to cool off to the point where I can reseed the backyard again. Right now, it's too hot. I put any seeds down, they're going to die before they can take root. So um, it, it's uh, it's in need. What I'm doing now with watering is just trying to keep what I've got alive for the most part. It's uh, it's rough. And so I check the forecast every morning. I'm like, rain, rain. The worst kind of forecast is like 20% chance of rain. I'm like, that's not good enough. I still have to water. And then Tennessee being Tennessee, you know, a 20% chance of rain turns into a thunderstorm downpour in the afternoon for 30 minutes where, you know, basically like, God, I'm hoping everything doesn't wash away. Um, so, you know, I'll end up watering stuff in the morning and then it'll rain later on today. But today it, it topped out at a 4% chance of rain this afternoon. So I'm like, all right, I feel pretty confident that I can water this morning and not waste my time. So all that as a prelude to... I mowed on Friday, and man, things look pretty good, especially out front. Out back still looks a little dicey, but things are looking pretty good. So um, what else happened over the weekend? Uh, Saturday, oh, it was house cleaning day because yesterday we hosted a brunch. Ugh, it was a noon brunch. It started out as my wife wanting to catch up with a friend, and then it was, um, well, okay, she, she's going to bring her husband and her, and her little baby too. All right, cool, no problem. And then... One of our friends was like, oh, I haven't seen her in a long time. Can I come too? Oh, sure. And then she she accidentally like opened it up on a group text and uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm going to, to Dini and Darren's for brunch, blah, blah, blah. And then other people are like, er, what? So, 
you know, we, we, we didn't have a huge uh, influx of people from that. But nonetheless, it ended up being a much bigger gathering than we were expecting, which it was originally going to be two people. Like, I wasn't even necessarily invited. <laughs> I think it was expected that I would be here, but, you know, I was not officially on the guest list. Like, yeah, you can be here if you want kind of thing. Um, and we ended up having a lot more people. It was fine. It was fine. But, man, it is exhausting. And that was the day where really I'm like, holy shit, am I an introvert? Um, because these are all people that I like, you know, there were like seven people here. It wasn't anything huge or anything like that. But by the time everybody left, which was like five hours later, by the way, I was so drained. I was in bed by eight o'clock and that was a stretch to be able to stay up that late. I'm like, it's still light outside. I don't care. Uh, Yeah, that, that is the, the big thing between an introvert and an extrovert. And I've talked with, uh, enough well, no, that's not true. I have not talked with enough actual extroverts to where I really believe this to be the... I know it to be true, but I'm still stunned by it every time I hear it. Where they say, yeah, actually, you know, going and, and talking to people and being in a crowd and going to a party, that's how I recharge my batteries. I'm like, that, no, that is not how the universe works. What is wrong with you? You are wired incorrectly, sir. That is not right. Not right. I think, realistically, I think introverts, I'm talking to you out there, there are more of you than you realize. It is not uncommon at all to be an introvert. And I I think a lot of people grow into being an introvert the older they get. I know I certainly have, and I was a big one to begin with. So um, anyway, I had a very uh, introvert challenging weekend. It It was a good time, but man, I, I was out early and I slept like a baby. One other note, because, you know, Google knows me and, uh, you know, data being what it is. I talked about the great hack a little while ago and how our data is being collected. And, you know, one of the things it's used for is fairly benign purposes, like feed you advertisements on things that you might want to see. So I'm scrolling through, like, Instagram, and now I'm seeing all these ads for, like, you know, online guitar courses and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. And I actually went and purchased one of those courses because I'm like, this looks pretty good. And it was so clickbaity it was one of those things where you go and it takes you to a site and there's no option to buy anything like you've got to watch this video and sit through it and then eventually a link appears to take you to the next page then you've got to watch this video it's like this sales funnel I'm like just take my money where's the fucking buy button already I want to do this I'm like as it went on and on and on I'm like I'm about to just click away from this because it's so frustrating. And there are the videos where they don't show you the transport at the bottom, so you can't see how long the video is. It's like you hover over it, and all you can do is pause it and play it. You can't see any uh, anything else. You can't take it full screen or anything like that. You can't tell, like, okay, am I watching a 90-second video? Is 30 minutes of bullshit that I have to sit through. Um, but yeah, against my better judgment, I went and I sat through it, and I sat through it. And I'm like, God, this feels so, so lame, so clickbaity just so sales pitchy and then so they finally get to the point where you can buy the course I'm like all right great buy finally take my damn money please um and it wasn't it was like forty dollars for lifetime access it's not even like a per month kind of thing or anything I'm like cool that that's great um for what they're saying this looks totally worth it and uh so then there's all these things like okay well before we let we let you in we want to throw this special offer at you there are additional courses and you know, they're like, you know, starting at like, you know, you can get all these for an additional $90. And I say, no, thanks, no, thanks. And eventually they're offering me all these courses for like an additional $3. And at that point, I refuse on principle because I'm like, you know, if you were tar- if you were charging this much before and now you're cutting it down to like 5% of that, like, eh, this doesn't seem like it's worth it to me. And just let me see the first one that I bought first before I jump in on anything else because I still have no idea if this is even worth it. 
And uh, lo and behold, I'm totally shocked. It is fantastic. Like It's such a good course. Um, I, I'm really surprised because I really expected it to just suck balls after being just so, so cheesy during the sales purchase uh, process. So, And, you know, as a business owner, I have encountered marketing uh marketing tips, marketing write-ups, like, you know, how to create sales leads, blah, 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 that, that encourage this kind of thing. And I've always gone against it because I'm like, I, as a user, as a purchaser of something, I find that whole process to be such a turnoff. But this time I actually sat through it and it was worth it. I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I didn't have to sit through that. But anyway, so I've been working through that guitar course a little bit. I've gone from sounding like I don't play guitar at all to sounding like I'm just bad at playing guitar. So that is an upgrade for sure. And um, the next step, I think, is is to be not embarrassing at playing guitar. I think that is the next step up. I'm not sure what's after that. As soon as I hit it, I'll let you know. I'm working through the metronome and working on some drills right now. So everything I'm doing sounds very non-musical. It's just like chromatic scales and just working on finger dexterity and stuff like that. But it's, it's progressing. It's fun too. So um, so that's the weekend recap. I wanted to hit up a little, um, uh, what, a, a, a revisitation of the music discussion from last week. Because I got some good feedback from a couple people on this as well. So... Um, Matt Boatman through Instagram, he threw a couple of uh, a couple of tunes my way. So, because I was talking about like, you know, what are your go to tracks in the gym? If you like, your life depends on a PR, and you've got to hit it. You're putting something on, and this stemmed from our conversation on Friday where I raked Brian over the coals, who called in and said he was going for a heavy squat, and then all of a sudden his Pandora switched over to an ad. I'm like, dude, what are you doing listening to free Pandora? Come on, man. Um, so what What are your go-to songs? So Matt Boatman had a few suggestions here. Monster Magnet, Heads Explode, Good Call, Love Monster Magnet. Um, very, very retro, old-school kind of vibe, but a little bit more polished. Um, so I, I'm a, a big fan of uh, big fan of them. A great song as well. Motorhead, Killed by Death, great song title. Wasn't familiar with that. Checked it out, and you know, <laughs> The thing about Motorhead that I love is uh, Lemmy, the singer, if you want to call him a singer, cool guy, cool guy. He always sounds like that guy where, this is going to sound very stereotypical of, of Motorhead, but you're in a biker bar somewhere, and it's for some reason it's karaoke night, and this guy gets up to sing, and you can tell like he doesn't really know the songs, but he's just got a cool voice. And so you're like, I'd listen to this guy sing anything, and he can just make stuff up, and he's still going to be interesting to listen to. That's Lemmy. Lemmy always sounds like he doesn't really know the songs, but he just sounds so cool anyway. It doesn't matter. He's got such a unique voice. It's like, yeah, you don't really need to know him. It's all right. It's all right. Um, Matt continues, Candlebox, Glowing Soul, which um, – I had to pull that one up. I'm like, I don't remember that one. And then it became, I remembered it. It's, it's kind of like a, a Bo Diddley style, like a rock shuffle kind of thing. It's a little bit more candle boxy than that, but that's, that's the roots of it. Very cool. Very cool. Tantric down and out. I had, uh, I'd forgotten all about Tantric as a band, which, um, so I'm doing this from memory. Um, so this might be wrong, but the way I remember it is Tantric was actually born out of the psychosis I don't know if it was diagnosed, but you know the uh, the instability. I will say of Travis Meeks, who was the singer of uh, a, the '90s band uh, Days of the New, who were like an acoustic grunge band, if you will. 
great stuff. So the first album, this band got together. Travis was the singer and one of the guitarists. They had one or maybe two other guitarists, bass, drums. Um, and then for the second album, like Travis fired everybody and did it all himself and hired session players and wrote new material. And the dude is clearly a little insane. You can hear that in a lot of the lyrics that he writes, especially like into the third album. I don't think he's done anything since then, um, at least nothing that I can find. Um, but the rest of the band, after that first days of the new album, they're like, well, what do we do? Well, let's get a new singer and let's make a new band. And that became Tantric. So um, so I like Tantric for that reason, um, just because the musicianship on that first days of the new album was fantastic. So good. Um, the, the playing is just awesome. I really like the songwriting as well. I think the songwriting for Tantric is a little bit weaker. And they, they were... They, they had promised to be a really big band that I don't think ever really materialized, um, but they still have some good songs. That, that is a good one. It is not one that I would pick for a life-or-death PR, but it is one that I would be like, I could rock out to this in the car, absolutely. And then he also added Eye of the Tiger, to which I replied to him like, dude, that is so played out. <laughs> And, and he responded and said, yeah, it's more like, you know, changing in the locker room, getting ready kind of song. I, I get that. I get that. Um, and then I got some good feedback from uh, Kristen Cairns also, who um, had some obvious choices and some less obvious choices. She had two from Arch Enemy, Enemy Within and Ravenous. Um, Arch Enemy, not a band I was familiar with. Um, but listening to it, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Very, very, very similar um, to Avenged Sevenfold. Um, if you go back to their very first album, and by that I mean Sounding the Seventh Trumpet, the one that nobody ever listens to. Very similar to that, just because that's the vocal style um, for this. And that vocal style, I know this is very, very cliched and tends to indicate a little bit of like, yeah, this person just doesn't really get it. it it's not for me. It, it's not for me. It, it's... Less singing, more screaming. And I think there's a good mix of that 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 can really hit a sweet spot. Like if you look at a band like um, Ginger, who has a female singer who does some very cool melodic stuff and then growls like a mofo as well. I'm like, okay, that has some great effect because there's contrast there. Um, I don't, but I hear other similarities as well. Like it sounds like there's two guitarists in the band. They do a lot of um, uh, not unison, but uh, a lot of matched parts throughout. Um, similar kind of vibe overall. Pretty cool. I can I can get down with that. Um, now you've got something to die for by Lamb of God. Always a classic choice. Love it. Sad but true. Metallica. Realistically, that is like the most basic song in the world. It is like hashtag basic metal, but it just packs so much power. You throw on some good headphones and you listen to that song and. To this day, it is now, what, hold on, 27 years later, um, that song is still going to rock your ass off completely. It is a dirge, but just the power behind it is just phenomenal. And the way it was recorded, I think they just, there's so many layers of guitars on there. Like, it's not just Kirk and James, but it's them, like, on top of each other over and over again. That is not a good visual. I mean, they're guitars. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, I, I'm with you on that absolutely. Um, and then I don't know how I couldn't uh, how I could forget this because this is one that is absolutely in like my top five, like life or death PR songs. Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. I mean, holy crap! Uh, another one actually. Pantera has two spots on that list for me, and the other one is Domination. So um, 
And if you've ever seen, and if you're if you're a Pantera fan and you haven't seen it, you need to go onto YouTube and just type in Domination Live and come and watch the first thing that plays, or will pl- play the first thing that comes up. Um, it is phenomenal. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about Dimebag on that song, and just because you listen to it on the recording. And you're like, yeah, there's no way he could pull that off live. And he does. It, it sounds note for note identical. It is perfection. Because I listen to that song and I'm like, I'm listening to the, that solo specifically. And I'm like, I, as a guitar aficionado, I cannot tell you what he's doing to create those sounds. Other than like lots and lots of overdubs. But no, he can play it live as well. It's, it's so weird. It is, it is awesome. And it's just so unbelievably heavy. That spot after the solo is just like, ugh. Anyway, there, there's your musical recap for the week. So let me take a quick break here. I need to go adjust the sprinklers. We've got a, uh, a few, uh, a few uh, topics of conversation to go here that are listener-driven. So we'll get back in touch on that in just a second here. And I'm back. Once again, a reminder, um, go to the website and vote, thedropset.com. Vote in the poll and tell me what you think. Is the upcoming wellness division an overall positive or negative thing for bodybuilding? Your opinion matters. Um, I, uh, it, it really does. Like I always want to make sure that I don't uh, allow my opinions and my thoughts to go unchallenged and I don't want things to just like, you know, exist in a vacuum. I don't think that's necessarily productive. And I think that the, um, the the opinions that you bring to it, whether you agree with me or not is, is irrelevant, I think, but just your opinions, hearing that is good. I mean, that's the thing about opinions is neither of us are right or wrong. Um, you know, we're right in our own minds, but I, I, I don't mind being challenged on that. So um, I, I did mention there was going to be a little bit of a, a, a recap also um, on the weekend. So I mentioned on Friday I had uh, Jessica competing over the weekend in El Paso. And, uh, you know, ultimately uh, I am really, really pleased with how she came into the show and how she looked on stage. You can go into uh, my Instagram page or hers um, and check out. I, I posted a video of her and she's got some pics up there as well. So um, really, really pleased. Um you know, the whole prep, it was, you know, relatively smooth. I would say the level of progress that we saw throughout the whole thing, phenomenal. Very happy with that. So no complaints at all. Um, and really wouldn't have changed much of anything. That being said, um, she took third in her class of three up on stage. And she sent me a photo of the lineup with numbers in front of each people. And she's like, what happened? And I looked at it, I'm like, I have no clue. Because the winner was far and away the weakest one on stage and it wasn't even close. And you know me, I am not one to argue about results or get hung up on that, but this, this was robbery. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened up there. The winner, you know, I'm sure she worked hard. She looked fine. She was just not in the same league as the other two. It was not even close. And so I don't know if the judges were like trying to make a statement like the other two are just too lean. So let's take her instead. I have no idea, um, but it wasn't just conditioning. It was overall shape, overall level of development. It was just like, you know, you had Jess and you had the woman who finished second and then you had the winner in, in a completely different category. Like, I don't know what is going on here. <laughs> it was, I mean, you, you put you put Jess and the one who took second, put them side by side and clearly, I mean, you know, I am a little biased, but if I pull myself back from it a little bit, I'm like, I think Jess has that. I mean, I, I can make an argument for her coming in second, however. I could see that. It, it's 
possibly a little bit of a toss up. I could see that either way. I'm like, yeah, all right. I, I, I disagree, but I can understand how that, how that happened. But the, the one who won, no, I, I see no argument for that whatsoever. So anyway, we are going to proceed here. Um, we're going to hit another show, um, not next month, but in October. So we're going to take a little time, try and grow and improve a little bit. And then I think also we can probably get away with coming in a little less conditioned. I really don't think that hurt her. I don't. Um, I think there was something else going on and I don't, you know, I won't speculate as to be, well, okay, I will. I don't know if it was politics or if it was just, you know, uh, one of the the head judge had a thing for her or had some people on the judging panel had something against the other two for whatever reason. I don't know, but, uh, or, or they were just trying to make a statement like, no, the other two are too lean. So we're going to take this one instead, even though she is not really even close to where, you know, the the overall figure standard is so i don't know um and if that is the case i'm like i can accept that if you think that you know the the if you think that the the figure division standard has been moving too close towards being you know leaner than is ideal i mean judges at some point have to take a stand and make a statement and the thing that sucks is that that's going to impact real people who absolutely busted their ass and brought a package that is consistent with what has been rewarded in previous shows. And so then they kind of get stepped on um, as being the, the collateral damage uh, of those decisions. But nonetheless, if you want to reclaim a little bit of that, um, if you want to reclaim a little bit of that as far as like getting the judging standards back to where, you know, maybe they should be, um, that has to happen. But I don't, I also don't think at a small show in West Texas with three people on stage is where a statement like that is going to resonate at all. So I don't know. I'm a little confused. Uh, I won't lie. I'm a little confused, but, uh, it's not bodybuilding. If you're not a little confused, um, we did everything that we had to do. We hit our mark. I'm pleased with that. And so we'll improve a little bit and come back next time. So, um, Oh, and also worth noting, she did compete in novice, and she won that class as well. Um, so there's there's that. So, uh, and she did go up for um, overall in novice, and uh, there were two. It was her and another woman, and the other one took it, but she looked fantastic. So once again, uh, I cannot complain about that at all. This is not a sour grapes thing. This is a what the hell happened kind of thing. You know, if if you get beat by somebody and they are either clearly better or you can make a case for them, then I'm like. That that is totally fine. And once again, as I've said before, the results aren't really what matters, which is why I want to focus here on like, you know, we did what we had to do. We were both super pleased with how you looked. A higher placing would have been great, but that's not really the not really the thing that matters the most in the end. So, um, okay, moving on. I got a, a voicemail here that I want to touch on, and that's going to lead us down a conversation into some other territory as well. So let's start there. Hey, Darren, it's Zach from Pittsburgh. I love the podcast. I had a quick question for you. Um, I've been dialing my my diet in pretty well for the past couple of months. Um, I've cut out a lot of dairy except for a little bit of cheese on cheat meals and things like that. Um, but the only thing I haven't taken out is whey protein. Um, and the past couple of weeks I've noticed that I've been extremely gassy and bloated and just pretty miserable with it. Um, a couple of days ago I actually tried a plant-based protein instead of the whey and I felt hundred times better. There was no gas or no bloating. I, it was it was great. Uh, my question is: Is there going to be any sort of performance or um, difference in, in any gains that I could I can achieve using a plant based, or would you recommend like an isolate 
Um, I just don't want the bloating. The bloating is the worst part for me. So any any um, any advice would be great. Uh, appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and can't wait to hear from you. Thank you. All right, Zach. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, just had to chuckle. Like, yeah, bloated and miserable. Were you miserable, or was it the people who were around you were more miserable? I kind of know how that goes. Um, so, uh, yeah. So you said you've you've cut out dairy except for stuff from an occasional cheat meal here and there, which is cool. I mean, that, that, that's smart. And I think for most people, that is probably the smart path to go down. Um, but you haven't taken out whey. But then we we transitioned to this plant based protein. I don't know what it is specifically. That would help knowing exactly what it is. Um, ultimately, it comes down to um, the source and the amino acid profile. If it gives you a pretty complete amino acid profile, then the only strike that I would give against most plant based proteins, um, some of them have that they're a little less, uh, a little more deficient when it comes to a bioavailability. But if you look at some of the charts on that. You know, you're you're talking about something that is like you know, eighty percent bioavailable versus seventy percent bioavailable, which means like how much of it when you take it in are you actually uh, is your body actually able to use and process towards protein synthesis? So, um, it's not a huge difference there. I, I am not one to really uh, hammer home the bioavailability argument because I think you know if you can trade off a massive improvement in digestive comfort and stomach comfort for 10% bioavailability, I think that's a fair trade. I do. Um, so as long as it has a relatively complete amino acid profile, and most of the most of the plant-based protein products out there will. Um, I mean, most, uh, most plant-based proteins are not in and of themselves complete, but uh, most of these products are made from a mixture of, of plant-based protein sources. So you've got one that's deficient in this amino acid, one that's deficient in these three amino acids, um, one that's really heavy in these one or two. You mix them all together, and so it, which is why you you will say like, oh, well, I'm going to have this this pea protein powder. But it's it's not usually just pea protein. It's like heavily pea, but then it's fortified with other protein sources as well that are still plant-based to complete the amino acid profile. So most of them will, will be sufficient for sure. Um, it's worth, you know, most of those will also on the label, they will have a little um, chart, not a chart, but like a table that lists the amino acid servings, um, which is just a, a nice little bit of transparency. And then you can compare that against um, uh, what would be like the acceptable daily intake for these and then, you know, bump it up a little bit from there because bodybuilders have higher needs. And then you can see like, oh, okay, well, because they aren't all proportional. Like, oh, well, you need 100 milligrams of this one, 100 milligrams of this one, 100 milligrams of this one. Like, no, no, you need, you know, some of this, some of this, more of this, less of this. Um, so it's it's not like where you can, well, this one's only got six grams, but it's got 150 grams of this one. That might be just fine. So you can't just look at the raw numbers, but you can compare against uh, tables um, for recommended daily intakes and, and draw your conclusions from there. Most of them will be fine. The argument that I have against plant-based proteins is, um, is one of cost. Um, they are universally more expensive. Um, and I would say not higher quality. You know, like you're not getting a, a direct uh, increase in the quality of the protein for the price. Like you can still have, just like, you know, you can buy Walmart uh, whey protein, that body fortress bullshit crap, which, you know, <laughs> I've, I've worked with a lot of clients who, you know, in the assessment form will be like, yeah, if you're, if you're using any kind of supplements, let me know. And, uh, because usually I'm just like, I want to see what they're using and see like, okay, any problems here or like, okay, well, that's a supplement that has calories in it. So we need to account for that, that kind of thing. Um, 
Body Fortress, and then what else? Um, the uh, oh, the pure protein stuff that people get from Costco. Um, that is really the only thing where I will intervene and say, you got to stop using that shit immediately. It is garbage. It is crap. It is low quality filler loaded junk. It is awful crap. Um, most protein powders are fine, but when you skimp and you go for the cheap crap, you get the cheap crap. So you would think then, okay, paying more for this plant-based protein powder, um, is uh, I'm going to get higher quality. Not true. You can still get low quality proteins there. Um, I'm not saying that they are lower quality, but and I'm talking about like, you know, manufacturing, not the, the actual, um, I mean, we talked about bioavailability, but the actual, um, uh, composition of it or anything like that, just like manufacturing, they can still be like, you know, poor, poorly produced. Um, but that they, they can be very expensive. And I don't know if that has to do just with like the, um, the, uh, extraction process to get the 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 pure protein out of the plant-based sources or what i mean i'm assuming it's more complex so it becomes more expensive i don't know that for sure um but uh typically your serving sizes are going to be smaller um plant-based proteins it's more common to find things that are like 15 18 grams of protein per scoop as opposed to the standard 24 to 30 grams in a whey-based product um, and so if you look at the price per gram of protein, which is really like the most accurate measurement of um, how cost effective something is, it's going to be way, way higher with a plant-based product pretty much universally. Uh, so that, that's the, really the biggest strike against it. So if you are budget-minded and you're like, you know, yeah, I would love to be able to get something that's a little bit more cost effective, but also I'd love to get that like 10% or whatever bump back in my bioavailability. Not that it's a huge deal, but still it's something. I would absolutely look into a lactose-free whey protein um, just because for most people, that will be sufficient. Um, and so that would be something like Isopure, um, which I, I talk about Isopure enough on this podcast. I feel like they should be a sponsor, but they are not. I just use it myself. I buy it at full price. Um, so <laughs> I am a, uh, a, a an effective yet very stupid pitch man because I'm not getting reimbursed anything for this, but it's a great product. I mean, what can I say? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I used to have some, some of those same issues with whey protein and since switching to, uh, something that's lactose free, I've used Isopure. It's not the only one as well. Um, I think Dimatize has one was it ISO 100 is their lactose free. I think I'm not positive on that. Um, they're all fine, but going with, with a lactose-free product, which will be clearly labeled as such, um, might be sufficient. And it's worth like trying to get a sample of something and just you know have a, have a friend that you might be able to offload it onto if you try it and it's not working for you. But that would be another thing to, to um, experiment with at the very least. So that was, that was Zach from, from Pittsburgh. So um, Now, the cool thing there is Zach rounds out our lineup for this raffle drawing, which we're going to do right now. So I've got... Here we go. I'm, I'm taking these post-it notes, I'm crumpling them up, and putting them in my... Well, this is the container that I put my post-workout carbs in, a little Rubbermaid container here, a little Tupperware thing. So I've got Zach. We've got Brian from Louisiana. You're going in. See you, buddy. we got Mike from Texas. Thanks, Mike. we got Nicole from Spokane. How you doing, Nicole? Tasha, Texas. Texas represent Lone Star Power. And we got Emily from Oregon. Everybody getting crumpled up. Don't worry, it's not a voodoo doll. You shouldn't experience any pain with this or anything. 
And then, uh, okay, so I've got a whole bunch of post-it notes in here. All I can see, <laughs> I, I held my, uh, my Tupperware container up to the microphone, like, so you could see in there. <laughs> Apparently, I don't understand how microphones work. Uh, okay, so, snap all four corners of it shut, shaky, shaky, shake. Yep, I mean, I can't, I, I don't know why I had to shake it up. I can't see anything that's written on these pieces of paper. I wrote very small on the front side of it. So, uh, okay, and I'm going to pick one out here. Which one looks good? What do you think? I like this one because I, no, no. Let me go with this one. Yeah. All right, so I picked it out. I'm unfolding it. Unfolding. Unfolding. What do we got? What do we got? Now, no, I don't like this one. I'm going to draw a new one. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Mike, Texas. You win. So, um, get in touch with me uh, however you want. Um, you can find me on, well, <laughs> this is a good time for it. You can hit me up on Instagram at Darren underscore star. You can email me, Darren at five star fitness.com. That's star with two R's. Those would be the best ways. Um, so, hit me up and uh, we will get you hooked up. Um, what I will need is uh, what from the store you want, five star physique.com. Click on shop. Anything up there is fair game. I just need your size, color if appropriate, and a shipping address. So we will go over that. Hit me up, though, and we'll make it happen. Um, so let's see. Uh, the, the other thing that I got here, this was, this was very interesting. So um, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, wait, there we go. This came. Uh, this was something from, from Matthew Frederick, who's a client of mine, and this is... Uh, it, a couple of things here that uh, could really send me down a long rabbit hole. So it's at the 41 minute and 30 second mark right now. If you opened up this podcast and it's an hour and a half long, I, I will just tell you right now, from now to that hour and a half mark, it's me talking about this just because it could be very dangerous. I could start talking about this for a long time. I'm going to try and keep myself in check a little bit here. So, um, so uh, he has two questions. So he says, been working out this past week at a temporary gym while out of town. Under most of the bench presses, I'm sorry, most bench press benches, there's a brick. I see a lot of guys putting this on their chest and then lowering the bar to the brick. What is the point of that? And why am I only seeing that at this gym? Never seen it before. So that's a powerlifting type of thing. Um, generally, it's, it's not a brick. Um, but oftentimes you'll see guys with like wooden paddles. Um, and so they may take like a single paddle. They may take two of them or something like that. And they're of a certain thickness. Often it's like a two by four or something like that. And that's just, um, it, it's a way to limit the range of motion on your, on your bench. So you don't go all the way back into a full stretch position, but you create a little buffer. So it's kind of like a way to do a floor press with a barbell, um, except it's not a floor press in that you have elbow support, but it's a press in which you are forcibly limiting the range of motion through some mechanical means. Um, the idea being that this will improve your strength. Like if you, if you come down and rest on the brick and then you have to explode up from there, you are removing the ability to use stretch reflex to help move the weight, um, which is useful because when you bench um, in a powerlifting competition, you take it down on the negative and then you have to wait for a judge to give you the command to bend to press so when you're actually pressing in a powerlifting meet 
you don't have the ability to incorporate stretch reflex. You bring it down, and they're not going to make you hold it there for 10 seconds or anything like that, but they want to see that all the momentum has left the bar, and then they're going to say press, and from there you press up. But you, you cannot move until then. And so uh, typically with, with power lifters, they will practice that way as well. But then also if you do it by removing the range of motion, because you'll find a lot of guys who, um, you know, they, they can get out of the hole okay, and then they get, you know, four inches up and then they get stuck. And so if you bring the bar down and use a brick or a paddle or some kind of a spacer to create a, a, a buffer, um, then you're, you're defining the bottom of the range of motion right around where your common sticking point is. And then you press up from there and it's a way to help kind of uh, train through that weakness. That's the idea behind it. Um, if you were not a power lifter, it has zero utility. It is fairly worthless. Although they do also make these, these pads that you can stick around a bar, um, that will create like a four five, six inch buffer or something like that. Um, buddy of mine, Roger, that I, I worked out with a handful of times at the gym, he'd carry one of the, one of those around with them. And, um, I did bench with it a little bit. It does change the dynamic a little bit. Um, it, it's interesting. Like it, it, uh, it kind of makes you rethink what appropriate weights are. Um, and you know, whenever you change up a dynamic, a, a variable like that, it can really change the way the exercise feels like in the moment. And then also like a day or two later. So uh, it was a nice change of pace there. So it, it's not totally worthless, but from a practical perspective, it's typically just a power lifting, um, tool to, um, help train through sticking points. Matthew's other question. He says, my gym has a vertical Smith machine and an almost vertical Smith machine. Are there some exercises I should do on each one or should I just do everything on the vertical and what exercises are best on it? I like doing the front squat and the narrow squat on the Smith machine. What about bench presses? Anything else? I'm a big fan of the Smith machine. Powerlifters will poo-poo it, rightfully so, um, except for accessory work um, just because, you know, for what they're doing, uh, you know, powerlifters work with barbells. They don't work with Smith machines. That's fine. Um, for bodybuilders, though, um, you know, this is not necessarily better. It's just different. Um, we can use everything, and we should use everything. Whatever it takes to um, make something work and to, to get the right feel out of it. That's what we're going for here. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the Smith machine. Squats in the Smith machine? Yeah, absolutely. Bench in the Smith? Totally. Um, th there's times where... Um, getting some dumbbells in your hands and doing a an incline press from there can be really useful. There are other times where putting on the Smith machine where you don't have to worry about stabilizing things in any plane. You can just get under it and push can also be really useful. Um, so do a little bit of both. That's the big thing. Now, the vertical versus the almost vertical. So the almost vertical ones are at a 7.5 degree angle. And this is really one of my biggest pet peeves um, in all of gym land. Why do they build Smith machines at a seven and a half degree angle? I have theories. I don't have good answers. I have reached out to equipment manufacturers. I have emailed them and asked, can you explain to me? And the response I got from that was um, just what you would expect. Deafening silence. <laughs> no response at all. They're like, oh, who's this dipshit? Eh, whatever. Ignore him. So, and you know, I contacted like four or five companies um, and didn't get a single response from any of them. So, um, which, you know, I, I just take that to me like they don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> I mean, realistically, they, they were probably just ignoring me for good reason. But I also think that if they had a good answer, they probably would have told me. Um, I don't, there, there is no good answer. Like mechanically speaking, um, I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, the ideal bar path is... Uh, 
a straight line. That's not necessarily always the case. Like in, in bench press, your your idealized bar path has a little bit of an arc to it. Like it kind of it kind of goes forward a little bit and then it comes back. In addition to going, you know, primarily straight up and down. But if you look at it from the side, um, the the pa- the bar path as you press up from the bottom, it will come forward a little bit and then it'll like down towards your waist and then back up towards your head. A, a little bit of an arc like that is very natural. Um, uh, squat the idealized bar path. Our bar path is a straight up and down one. That's not often the case just because, you know, an individual's body mechanics may make that impractical to hit. That being said, the Smith machine is forcing bar path. And so in doing that, it should be forcing the idealized bar path, considering it's got to be a straight line, which is always going to be vertical and not at a seven and a half degree angle. There are no exercises where a seven and a half degree angle is an idealized bar path. There are none. Um, unless you have a bench also at a seven and a half degree angle and you're trying to do a flat bench press, that would be about the only time I've never seen a bench that does a seven and a half degree angle though. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to the, 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 the concept of the Smith machine forces you into a, a fixed path, it has to be a straight line. So it should be the ideal path that is always perfectly vertical. So you should always use the perfectly vertical Smith machine. If you have the choice, unless you're going for something that has a pretty limited range of motion. Like if you're trying to do shrugs or rack deadlifts in a Smith machine, there's not enough range of motion in there to really make that seven and a half degree angle have any kind of significant horizontal movement. So it's not super relevant there. Um, but like a full squat or bench press, shoulder press, et cetera, you're looking at enough range of motion there, um, and it becomes a game of inches where a little bit of movement there can matter. It can, it can make the exercise a little bit different. Um, as far as the why, why does that exist? Um, I would speculate, and this is, again, total speculation because no one's taking my calls. Um, I think it has to do with safety. And, and so I, I was looking at the two Smith machines that our gym has, and they are the same Smith machine. Um, they're not labeled, but just based on the uh, the layout of the gym, I'm going to assume that they are produced by Arsenal Strength Training Equipment. Um, they're the same one. One is vertical, one is 7.5 degrees. They are adjustable. So, like, you can actually um, adjust some pins and put it at a 7.5 degree angle, or you can make it vertical. Um, so you just pins that are like set down by the feet so that you, you know, it's like you, you put one end of it on stilts basically. So, um, so one is set vertically and the other is at an angle. Honestly, I don't know that the gym even realizes that. Um, (laughs) but you know, I notice these things, these are the details that drive me nuts. Um, so, and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the design. I'm like, you know what? I think it might have something to do with is, the way those things are balanced and how somebody could say, you know, worst case scenario, you load this thing up and if it's totally vertical, there could be a scenario where, you know, if somebody's doing a hack squat the wrong way and their feet are out in front, so they're pushing the machine back, it could be a risk to topple over potentially um, if it's perfectly vertical. Un- the gym, uh, the, the equipment manufacturers understanding that yeah, those things have to be bolted to the ground in order for the the warranty to be valid, but that oftentimes they are not bolted to the ground. So bolting that down fixes the issue, but I think a, a smart gym manufacturer has to assume the worst 
and assume that, okay, this might not be bolted to the ground, so how can we make it safer? Let's put it at a seven and a half degree angle tilting forward. Um, so I, I, I suspect that's it. That's the engineer in me trying to go backwards with the problem and figure out why it might be like that. So, um, that being said, for anything with a, anything other than a tiny range of motion, you're, excuse me, you're always best off using the, the vertical Smith machine. Um, but, uh, as far as what you can do with it, anything that you could do with a barbell is fair game in, in a, in a Smith machine as well. RDLs. Yeah. I really like doing barbell rows in a Smith machine as well. Um, you know, they look a little bit different. I think it makes sense to bend forward at the hips a little bit more and really stick your shoulders out over the bar. Um, but you can do some things with that that you can't do with a barbell because you don't have to worry about keeping yourself balanced over your center of gravity. You just have to, you know, be able to, to manipulate the bar from wherever your center of gravity is. So it opens up a little bit more flexibility as far as shifting your center of gravity around or being less mindful of it and not worrying about balancing yourself over it so much. So I do like it for that reason uh, and a lot of other reasons as well. So great, great questions. So that uh, that pretty much does it. So I did manage to avoid the big rabbit hole I was going down. I might save that for another thing. It's also equipment related, but Matthew didn't bring it up. And so I'm going to do the kind thing and not subject you all to it here. So as I mentioned before, a couple of times, thedropset.com, go vote in the poll and tell me your thoughts on whether or not the wellness division is a, a, an overall positive or a negative thing for bodybuilding. And also your questions, comments, feedback, complaints, etc. always welcome. 865-518-2974. Call me up. Leave me a message. Be heard. Have your voice heard. I'll be back on Friday. I hope everyone has a great week. Congrats, Matt from Texas. I look forward to hearing from you. We'll get you all squared away. 